If you have Bibles or if you have a phone or whatever and you want to tag along, you certainly can. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 1, probably Genesis 2 and 3 as well. I'll be kind of bouncing around a bit. Um, real quick, welcome to Echo Church. I'm not even sure how to, to, to speak with everyone. Upstairs, we have a, that's where we typically meet. and We have these little pillars in the way, and they're much smaller than this. Um, and so I'm going to have to, like, do, do some dancing, I guess. But anyway, hey, welcome to Echo Church. You are in the paintball room. I don't know how many, has anyone played paintball down here? Two? <laughs> Maybe three. Uh, when I was in youth ministry, I found out about this paintball room, and uh, I called and said, you know what? I got some middle schoolers, and they would love to do that. And they said, yeah, bring them on down. And so you come down here, and they set out all these different things, and they, they position them accordingly. One team's over there, one team's over there. And then there's a referee in the middle, and I guess he says, one, two, three, go. And they just start, you know, spraying each other, right? Only these aren't paintballs. I don't know if you've noticed, they're little round rubber balls, which is awesome because you can reload your gun with them, right? And so you can, you can do that and shoot each other. But, man, do they hurt. Oh, my goodness. And so you got these little middle school kids, and uh, they're running around. And Joe and I happen to be playing and I'm pretty sure it was this, this pillar right, right here. Um, Joe's really good. I mean, like, he's very skilled at this particular sport. And he was coming around, and I didn't see him at all. So I'm crawling, and I, I reach my arm around with my gun just like this. And he's standing literally right here. And he shoots me right in the armpit. I don't know if you've ever been shot in the armpit. It's the worst. You think you know where your most vulnerable area is. Nope, it's right here. So anyway, I, lots of memories in this particular space. I want to thank everybody for being so flexible. You know, the gym floors have to be done, and so that smell you're smelling is the polyurethane on the gym floors that's evaporating. If we were upstairs, we would have a much very, a, a very different experience. So uh, thank you for coming here. This is Echo Church. We're a very young church uh, in the sense that we've only been on the ground for uh, a, a few years. And uh, we're in the midst of some incredible changes. And so I need, first of all, I need all of our members for sure. You need to start praying things up. This is the week that you have to pray. Why do you have to pray? Because we're this close to securing our own building. Now, that sounds very exciting, except that I've been going to bed every night ready to throw up. Because we can't necessarily afford our own building. So then why, J.D., would you ever get a new building? Because the hand of God was in it. And if you want to ask me about it, I certainly will talk to you about it. But I'm telling you right now, it's, it's rare for me to say, oh, you know, uh, God's taking me over here and taking me over here. I think God gives us so many choices. Many times, I, I'm not sure. I think he says you could choose this or this. But sometimes he takes God's people and he literally, intentionally pushes them. That's what this was. The problem is, it's expensive, and I don't know how it's going to work. And you really want to know how it's going to work, and I don't know how it's going to work. And that's called faith, folks. <laughs> so the bottom line is, if God is in it, are you going to walk by faith? So all the members here at Echo, man, I need you right now to pray. If, if this is not what we ought to do, we need to know this week, and it needs to be crystal clear. Otherwise... Roll up your sleeves and get ready, get ready to work because the building that we're going to have is going to open up phenomenal opportunities. This is a church that is on the ground. The mantra that we have on the sign out there says, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus Christ taught us to pray that way. He said, because his disciples asked him, how do we pray? He said specifically, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, glorified, be your name. Your kingdom come, right? Your will, whatever you want, be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Is there pain in heaven? No. Then we ought to pray for less pain right here on earth. Is there weeping? Is there stealing? Is there deceit in heaven? No. Is there social injustice in heaven? Of course not. So for all of the brokenness that we find in this world, you will not find brokenness in heaven. What in the world are we doing if we're going to be Christians and just sitting in our pews and going to church? This is not a Sunday church. This is a church that's on the ground. This is a church that takes the Lord's Prayer seriously, literally, and says, God, bring your blessings from heaven here on earth and use us accordingly. That's what we do. And if we get a new building, it's not so we can have the coolest building in town. I'm here to tell you right now, you're probably going to walk in and be really disappointed. You're like, seriously? But guess what? How you live out your lives and the circle of your lives, this is what we're talking about today. That right there is how you bring the blessings of heaven and how God made you so that you would be a blessing to the people around you. So our series that we're in, we're in a lesson series. That's what preachers do. They put together all sorts of series. It's called A People of God. And I've really, really enjoyed this particular series. I have so many more ideas that I want to talk to you about. Because when we talk about a people of God, what we're talking about is this. People are all, whether they know it or not, believe it or not, we're all created in his image. He made us. And I don't know if this has occurred to you also, but you are extremely blessed because you were placed in human history at this time where there's indoor plumbing and electricity and buses that you can get on for free. You know, it's like, think about it. Have you ever flown in an airplane? How many of you have flown in an airplane? Of course, almost all of you, right? And some of you are all terrified about that. You need to wrap yourselves around the blessing of that. That is something so new. Look at where you're born. What are you doing? You've been put here for a reason, and God has blessed you in all sorts of different ways. And the problem is, is so much of our humanity, because we are in this cursed earth and uh, the, the curse of sin that has come in, we look at all of it, and we still complain, right? We still complain. We complain when we're at an airport, stuck there, because we're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe my, pl- my flight has been delayed. I've slept in an airport about three or four times just in the past couple of years. If you need tips on it, I'm happy to tell you where to sleep if you're going to do it. But listen, you sit there and you're like, I can't believe this. This is, I can't, this is crap. You know, that kind of thing, right? It used to take people their entire life to get across the United States. We do it in hours. What will you do with this? What will you do with the time that you've been given right here in human history at this place? I know we're all upset with President Trump, right? And we're all moaning and all the rest of it. You are free people. You get to make all sorts of choices on your own. The word refugee doesn't apply to you, right? I don't care how corrupt our president is, we still belong inside of a system of government that even though that happens to be our leader, which we're still going to respect, even though he happens to be our leader, we're inside of a governmental system that does not collapse because of him. That's amazing. Do you think about this? And today we're talking about work. Today we're talking about work. So we are a people of God. We are also a people of faith. I talked about being a people of faith a few weeks ago. We are also a people of work, of work. 
I think so often what happens, especially in this generation with so many blessings, we take work and we treat it as if it's something evil. And last week, and you, you know, if, if you weren't here, you can certainly turn, look up the podcast if you want. Um, we do have those podcasts, and it is on our website, echomissoula.org, or .com. Anyway, last week we talked about whether or not work was something that came out of the fall. Now, when I, I, I've said the fall several times, and I, let me just clarify that real quick. God created us in his image, and we were pure, and everything was good and holy in this thing called the, the Garden of Eden. I'm sure all of you have heard this, right? There was Adam and Eve. I remember as kids, you know, I hated talking about Adam and Eve because they were naked, <laughs> you know. But that's embarrassing to a little kid. Why? Because I live post-sin. You see, it didn't bother them. Everything was pure. But then eventually, one of them decided to disobey God. And in disobeying God and picking this piece of fruit, and the two of them both ate of it, sin enters into the world. Sin is something that separates you from God. You see, God is so pure and holy, he literally cannot be in the vicinity of, of sin. You're cut off. And that's what we call the fall. In other words, sin came into the world, and because of that, the world changed. And the Bible's very clear. There was a curse that God put upon the world. He, he cursed some of the attributes of women and some of the attributes of men and definitely the attributes of this planet. And that's what I'm talking about. And I think we put work, and we take work, and we put it in that place. And we say work is a result of the fall. Work is the result of sin. In heaven, we're not going to work. We're going to sleep on fluffy clouds. We're going to polish our halo. You know, as, as if that doesn't exist. Guess what? Revelation alludes to it existing. Yeah. Revelation is the very last book of the Bible, talking about what our existence will look like in, right before the throne of God. And guess what else? We found last week that in the garden, Adam was working long before sin came into the picture. That God put him in the garden and he said, you're going to cultivate it and you're going to keep it and you're going to make sure that it's producing fruit. He was already working. Believe it or not, he was already getting his hands dirty. He was taking care of animals, all of this kind of stuff. That's work. And so work is a result of the creation. It is not a result of the curse. As a result of the curse, there would be some attributes of work that would become very difficult. The curse and the, the, the curse that God puts on work, I'll read it, I'll, I'll give it straight to you right now. Coming out of Genesis chapter 3, it says this. Curse it is the ground because of you. He's talking about both of them. In toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it will grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death comes into the picture, and all sorts of other aspects of that curse affect almost everything that we have, all attributes of our life. That's usually what you're complaining about when you wake up on Monday and go, oh, I don't want to go to work, all right? Do you understand? It's not how it was intentionally created in the first place. There is a pure form of it that we find joy inside of. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit further about this attribute of what it means to have the idea of work. And I'm not just speaking about just your jobs. I'm not just talking about weeding the garden and mowing the grass. I'm also talking about commerce. I'm talking about business economics. I, I feel too often what happens with Christianity is we, we put this wall between religion and economics, right? We certainly don't talk about religious things in our workplace. 
And if we're going to have a business, we want to make sure that that business does some sense of good and we don't become so ambitious that, you know, we live the, the life of the rich and famous. And we're very, very quick to say that, you know what, wealth is, is a bad thing, right? And we're going to put that over here. And my question is this, is that accurate? Is religion supposed to be outside of commerce and business and ambition? For a long time, that's how I've felt. My wife would, she would get on my case. I was like bringing up stories of my wife because she's not in the room. She's teaching. Uh, she, she would say things to me like this. She would say, you know, we would get into an argument, and she would say something along the lines of, well, you and your spirit of poverty. And what she's talking about is, is there are many times where I would be like, you know what? We're not going to spend any money on this or this or this. We're just going to be miserable. And I would feel like that's a holy thing. And my question is, is it? Is that accurate? Well, the Bible says quite a bit about money, specifically about the pursuit of money, specifically about the pursuit and the ambitious spirit of, of humanity to provide for themselves. Listen to some of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus taught, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, that sounds like there's definitely a wall right there. Also think about this, the things in which Jesus, I brought this up last week, the things about which Jesus gets angry. What does he get angry about? Think of the things that he could have been angry about. Think about the facts that he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they will be children of God. There was a time when he had people who were sinners brought right before him, and if he truly is God in the flesh, then the sin that they have is really a sin against himself. And he didn't show strong signs of, of anger, and he certainly didn't get violent. What about when he was in the garden? When he was in the garden, he was praying. He's about to be arrested, and he's about to be murdered on a cross. That's what's literally about to happen to him. And this mob comes. They're going to arrest him, and his disciple Peter springs into action, takes the sword out and, and slices off the ear of a slave called Malchus, and Jesus says, yeah, get him. No, he doesn't. He says, put your sword away. And he heals the ear of this guy. So that doesn't tick him off. Where do we see Jesus get really ticked off? In the temple. What was happening in the temple? Commerce. Commerce was happening in the temple. In other words, there was this market that was happening in the temple, probably a lot of it illegitimately, right? And Jesus loses it. He's turning over tables and whatnot. It's funny because when we talk about commerce and religion, work and religion, it just seems like they should be on opposite sides. But I don't believe that's the case. I believe that God gives these things to us for a specific reason, to emphasize a type of relationship that he has with us. And so this is what I would like to do is just kind of go through a few key points. Um, let me get caught up on my notes here real quick. Sorry, I get so, uh, so excited. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 says, We are God's fellow workers. And then also in 10 through 11, it says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which was laid by Jesus Christ. And Paul here is giving this illustration of what it means to work and to be a part of that particular thing. And there's this interesting, um, 
there's this interesting relationship between what it means to be a partner of, of God. In other words, God is partnering with us, where he gives us work to do, but ultimately, he's the source. And I want to talk about that in just a second. I love the fact that many of us have strong work ethics. I've always wondered where that came from. Is it something that's learned? Is it something that's just part of genetics? Maybe a combination of all of it. It's really fun raising up three children and watching different levels of work ethic. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I remember the most depressed I've ever been in my life. I moved to Atlanta in 2001. It was February 2001. And when I arrived, first of all, I was shell-shocked. I'd never seen a road that was larger than four lanes. <laughs> and the cars were super fast and very clean, and uh, everything was just moving, 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 moving. And so my wife and I, we just sort of burrowed down deep and, and held up inside of our apartment for a while because uh, we wanted the newness to sort of wear off. But then I went without work. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a job for almost a month. And I remember at, at one point, it was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of nice. But no, there was something inside of me stirring. It was a deep restlessness, and even worse, it was a dark cloud of depression. And it gradually settled over me, and I clearly remember feeling just a sense of no value. And I don't understand where that came from. For many people, they look at the idea of, oh, man, you don't have to work for a month. That's awesome, right? You get to sit there and relax and all the rest of it. And you may actually function that way, right? But I think deep within humanity, there is a yearning to roll up your sleeves and produce something. You ask almost any kid what they want to do with their life. They will have a range of dreams from, you know what? I want to be a, a rap artist or, you know, I want to be a... Uh, a firefighter, or I want to be, you know, whatever it's going to be. They're talking about certain specific professions. And even if they don't hit a specific profession, they'll hit something of their interest, that I want to do this for the rest of my life. I remember as a kid, I was very much into Legos. And Susan Williams was the CEO of Lego at that time, and I wrote her a letter. And I said, dear Miss Susan Williams, do you remember this at all? Okay. <laughs> and I wrote her this letter, and I, and I said to her, I really just want to build Legos for the rest of my life. Can I please help plan your Legos? And so I wanted to be the guy that planned all of those different buildings and whatnot because that's what was on my heart. But that was the kind of creating that I wanted to do. You see, when we talk about work, we're talking about the measure of tools that's been given to you by God in his image, your creativity, your willingness to produce results, right, to serve other people, to have relationships. And so I want to go through this really quick, and um, I'm on the fence right now about whether to give you some handouts, because I don't have enough. Um, I do have handouts. If you're interested, you can come find me after this particular lesson, because uh, I've outlined all of these particular points. But I'm going to go through just a, a, a few, um, essentially, a, a few things you should think about when we talk about our view of work. Number one is this. In Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, that God had Adam literally take care of the garden, specifically the, the beauty of all that had been created. In Genesis 1 and verse, oh, goodness, I need a bigger stand. In Genesis 1, verse 28, it says these words. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, 
in verse uh, 5, it says these words. It says, Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, no plant of the field yet sprouted, but the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. There was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist would rise from the earth, and it would water the whole surface of, of the ground. And the Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. In verse 15, it says, the Lord took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. In other words, he was putting this image of him on the ground to take care of the earth. He also gave him several jobs to do as well. But at, at this point, he's making him a steward. That word steward isn't something we use all the time. And I've talked about this before. It means kind of a caretaker, right? Someone who's going to take care of the earth. What does that mean to you? I'm curious what that means to you. You know, I think many of us, we think about environmentalism. And I'm a huge proponent of recycling. I do believe you should be taking care of creation. I think you should get rid of any mentality that, that you might be thinking, that oh, God's going to destroy it anyway. You know? No. From the beginning, God has given us that responsibility. But what else would that mean to you? Taking care of what? Well, I would argue this. I would argue that stewardship of creation also... Um, includes how we handle the abundance of our resources. And that includes what we're doing with our work. It includes how you're running your house, how you're taking care of your car, the relationships that you have. All of that is created. All of it is created. You're stewards of it. When you clock in at work, you're literally a steward of the creation that he created, not necessarily at that moment, but throughout eternity when he created the world at the very beginning, he had in mind that particular business that you're walking into tomorrow morning. And you're a steward of it. Have you ever thought about the responsibility that you have on this earth to steward and to take care of the things that God has given you? Number two, we have a role to be providers, sustainers. But God is the true source. We have a role to be providers and sustainers. This is the part everyone loves. What does it mean to work in such a way that I get to achieve personal success? Personal success. That's what, that's what you go to school for. That's the ambition that you have. If you, have a, if you own your own company, I don't know how many of you have owned companies before or have your own company, right? Several of you, right? I know, yeah, David, yep. I owned a concrete company when I was in Atlanta after I got out of my dark cloud. Uh, eventually. And I know what it's like to, you know, work so hard and then to begin to see the results of all of your labor, right? And then, yeah, I was just pouring concrete. But I'll tell you this right now. If all of us were to go over to uh, Stone Mountain in Georgia, just east of Atlanta, and ride on the trolley, I'll show you the foundation of where they put the cables in the ground because that's my concrete. And I started to do that. I would pour certain things, and as I'm driving by, I'm like, mm, my curb, you know, that was my mud. Because I want to take credit for it. Is that good or bad? Both, right? It's bad if you're exalting yourself as if you created all of it, right? But when is it good? When is it good to take credit for it? Exactly. Living in the vessel of what God made right here, this creature that God made, and then I was able to use my creativity and resources to create something by taking credit for it, 
I'm also pointing straight to the Creator because He made me to do it. Do you understand? This is where we get our name from, Echo. You're just an echo. You're not the source of all of your creation. No offense. You're a reflection. You're a resonation. God created it, and he used you as a vessel, as a conduit to deliver it. You can take credit for that. There's something really amazing to know and to recognize. God's using me right here today in my place of work. So don't let that go. Number three, God's expectation is that we appreciate beauty. What am I talking about? In Genesis chapter 2, he says these words as well. Out of the ground, the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and that is good for food. That it's pleasing to the sight. Isn't that interesting? I mean, why would the Bible throw that in there? It could have immediately just gone to food. But it's fascinating that we're talking about beauty. And I think sometimes we lose this, this fact. Is it wrong to appreciate beauty? I think sometimes, and I, I'm speaking from my own experience once again. I think I grew up in a culture and in a world, and, and a lot of it was just my own doing, where I thought, you know what? I shouldn't be lusting, we're not necessarily talking about women, after fast cars, after, um, you know, wh- whatever it is. Uh, there's this one disc that I really want for disc golf, right? I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> it's like, it's like it flies further than everyone else's. You know, I just think, I think about it all the time. That's the kind of lusting that I'm talking about. And I think because of that, I would always kind of shy away from this idea. Can we really appreciate beauty? Does God want us to appreciate beauty? To appreciate the beauty that he finds in creation. I saw a really interesting movie last night. I highly recommend it. It's called Crazy Rich Asians. It sounds so politically incorrect, but it is a phenomenal movie, and I highly recommend it. But at one point, at one point, you're, you're, you're traveling through the air, and you're seeing the skyline of all these incredible buildings that have been, that have been created by this Eastern culture, and it's just mind-boggling, and your jaw drops. And I think sometimes we look at that, and we're like, look at all that opulence centers, Right? No, look at what man can do. Look what God allowed him to do. Do you appreciate that? Have you ever gone to a museum to see what a specific artist can do? I went to the Salvador Dali Museum down in Florida. You've you've got to go. The, The works of art are like two stories high. It's unreal. Can you appreciate the beauty that God has placed on this planet? From creation, he's told us. You should not only appreciate that beauty, you should create it. You should make it. You should work for it. What you're doing in your job should have some element of beauty. And I put this question on here, and it's probably my favorite question of today's lesson. What is an example of how you personally create beauty through your work? Well, I'm a janitor. So what do you do? This is one of the reasons I love to cut grass. I do. And, you know, push the lawnmower or hop on, you know, my riding lawnmower, whatever it is. Because by the end of it, my father kind of taught me this, that by the end of it, you're not done until you actually look at the work. And it looks great. And then you're kind of boastful to the rest of the, of the neighbors, you know. It's like, look at my yard, you know. I had this great competition with the, my neighbor 
when I lived in Georgia, we, I had one yard and he had another yard, and we had this competition going because I really began to take care of my yard. And I would edge it, and I would fertilize it and everything else. And he would do the same thing. It's almost like he would just imitate everything I would do just to stay right there with me. And so I told him, because he was only 11, <laughs> I'm going to destroy you. Um, and he was. He was 11, and he did a great job with that yard. Uh, I, had, I had one prank that I really wish I would have done, and that was to take some lime and then outline uh, a frowny face in the middle of his yard because what lime will do is it'll turn your grass bright green. And uh, it would have been great because he wouldn't have known for a couple of weeks. But then, anyway. Um, but the idea is this. What are you doing in your job to appreciate beauty? What, what, what are you doing with your work where you get to step back and say, awesome, I did that. God made me so that I could do that right there. You can find it. I don't care if you're a janitor. I don't care what your job is. I don't care how much you hate it. Can you at least work for the beauty that God has allowed you to make? Number four, regarding each other, how we partner with each other. Now, this is going to be a tough one. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to get parked here, but um, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I want to talk real quick about what that means. Now, listen, I want everyone to take a deep breath and calm down as I start to talk about women and men. All right. At the beginning of this year, I brought out a point at a particular lesson where there are statistics that show it is so difficult for somebody to change their mind about something that they already believe that they're unwilling to listen to the facts. Please open your ears and listen to the facts. As soon as I start talking about men and women equality issues, things get really, really weird. All right? You can come yell at me afterwards, but I'm going to give you this real quick. I have no agenda other than to say this. What are we talking about when we talk about this word helper. What are we talking about? I think for a long time, the way that we have interpreted this particular aspect right here in the creation, the, the, the garden that is pure, right, is that Adam had somebody subservient, someone below him created for him. I'll be honest with you. I had that view. I had it for a while. But is that what is being referred to? According to the Cambridge Bible, uh, this is a, uh, a commentary. The word help in the Hebrew is ezer, or ezer, uh, E-Z-E-R. It is the same word that is found in the word Ebenezer, which we read in uh, 1 Samuel. Um, according to Matthew Poole's commentary, help for him was a most emphatical phrase. It signified, it signified that here was one correspondent to him, some of your Bibles would have that or corresponding to him, suitable both to his nature and to his necessity. What does that mean? It means this. Adam was insufficient. Adam was insufficient. He couldn't do it alone. He couldn't take care of it by himself. Whatever the work was that God had given him at that spot, and not just the work itself, the very essence of who he was, he was incomplete. The Bible says, literally, 
it was not good for him to be alone. So when we talk about helper, are we talking about something or someone that now falls in a place of lesser value or of lesser importance? Is this where we land when we have a biblical view of men and women based on the creation, based on the creation? Well, it's interesting to me because the word helper, Ezer, is used quite a, a few times in Scripture. But who is it referring to? Eve? God. First Samuel 7, 12, then Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shin and he named it Ebenezer, the stone of help. That's what that means. Saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Psalm 70, verse 5, but I am afflicted and needy. So hasten to me, O God, you are my Ezer, my help, my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. How blessed is he whose help, Ezer, is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord his God. That's Psalm 146. And there are all sorts of other verses. You can, you can look for this yourself. We're using that same. That <laughs> I love where you cut that off. I'm having trouble. <laughs> Stay with it. <laughs> we'll get there. I think that was a God moment, by the way. Because I was... I was feeling the tension in the room. I think if you look throughout Scripture, you're going to find that's what is being referred to for the Lord. We, I mean, are, are we going to be consistent with what we're talking about? Which is why I think this idea of corresponding or correspondence to is more accurate. This is not an issue of who's more valuable. It's not. In fact, let me show you where this comes from. Let's talk about the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, what do we read? We read that after the sin, God was speaking to, well, first the snake, but then also to the man and the woman. In um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says these words. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. All of you men who have stood beside your wife when she gave birth. You know this is true. Um, God bless you. And yet, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is the curse. Do you understand? There is a relationship that exists, but then the relationship is twisted. And unfortunately, I feel many times we're living out of the curse instead of out of the garden. And when it comes to the workforce, I think it's taken unbelievably way too long for women to have the same type of respect and equality in the view of their value as men. Now, you can disagree with me, and you can yell at me, and some other people have, and that is, that's okay, because I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to look, okay? Because I know this stirs a lot of emotion inside of you. But if we're talking about the kind of work where we need a partnership, there are things that women bring to the table that, guys, I'm sorry, you suck at. You're terrible. And we need them. On the other side, this is why we call it harmony. There are things that men do that, ladies, we do well, believe it or not. Believe it or not. I'm having trouble. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
But the idea of harmony, that type of a relationship that comes with harmony, that's what we're after. That is the garden perspective, the creation perspective. Now, I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm not going to go on any type of a woman's lib thing or anything like that, which, by the way, I disagree with. So you can talk to me about that, too. All right? I'm talking about value. I'm talking about where we are in terms of our partnership. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I just stirred the pot so much. I can't wait till after services. <laughs> However, that's not the only partnership that we're describing. And I'm going to close out with this, but the other partnership that you need to realize is this. You are partners with all of humanity. What happens in chapter 4? Chapter 3 is the fall. That's the sin. And then we fall. Okay, you understand that. I've tried to explain that. What happens in chapter 4? Chapter 4 is kind of the first few years after the fall. And what happens? I mean, within, within six verses, what happens? Murder. We had this beautiful partnership, this connectivity with each other. God made us so that we would work side by side. And all of a sudden, because of the fall, that also became twisted. Because of the fall, death was brought into the equation. Because of the fall, we now have this sort of animosity towards each other. Not only that, but we justify it. You're going to hit me in the face, I'm going to punch you back. You know, and that's, that's the kind of mentality that we have. You do something I don't like, I'm going to kill you. That's exactly what happened in chapter 4. How do we look past that? How do we, how do we get past that? I'm going to explain that to you in just one second, but first I want to give you an exercise. And I made, I made copies of this, but I'm just going to have you do it in your mind for now. If you would like a copy of this after the lesson, and I have a lot of these notes, and you can take a look at them, please see me afterwards, and I'd be happy to give it to you. Here's the exercise. I want you to think about the people in your workplace. Now, what I listed on here, and, and we could talk about it, the, the relationships you have, most likely you have coworkers or employees. You may have customers. You may have vendors, competitors. You might have mentors or coaches, and you might also have interns. And then you have everyone in between, including the CEO, perhaps the bosses that you can't really touch, right? You have all these relationships around you. It, it's what I call the circles of influence. All around you. And for some reason, you check your religion at the door, and you don't think that you're used as a conduit in your work to those relationships, to those partnerships that come out of the garden. Male or female, doesn't matter. You do. You have a responsibility. I, what, what are we doing? What are you going to do with those relationships? So the exercise was this. I want you to think of, I have you, you brainstorm all the names that you could think of in your workplace, perhaps in those categories. And then in this exercise, I have you circle three names that you do not like. You have to be honest, but you shouldn't show your notes to anybody. Think about that, though. Three names in your mind right now of people that you don't like. How about three other names of people that you just simply don't know that well, right? Here's how you can test your influence with the people in your workplace. And here's the challenge that I give to you. Is it possible that you have not learned about their families? You thought I was going to say faith. Families. I think that's an interesting test. If you're working with people and you're side by side and your cubicle is right next to this other person, and you don't even know how many kids he has, right? You don't even know if she still has parents. 
Don't take this the hard way. But as children of God, shame on you. That seems a little harsh. Why would I say that? Because you've got to look past the regular American way of staying in your silo concerned only about yourself and start realizing that God, our God, is a God of relationship. Michael Bayer says these words. He says, as we read through Scripture, two things become patently clear. God is a God of relationship, and he has ordered his creation in such a way that above all things, relationships are of primary value and concern. Your relationships around you are of value and concern. So test it. I encourage you. Here's a great challenge. Go to those three people or those six people or whoever and find out about their family. Here's what will happen in that process. Number one, you're going to actually be treading into deeper waters than they might be used to, possibly. It could take your relationship down a road that, quite honestly, I don't think is intrusive, at least not yet. It, it might be a little, so you want to tread carefully. But number one, it's going to take you into deeper waters with the relationships around you that you are partnering in with your work. Number two, it'll teach you how to ask good questions. It'll teach you some relational skills, you know. And trust me, I'm, I'm the chief officer of awkwardness when it comes to, you know, trying to connect with people. I remember I would ask people all the time. It'd be like, so, you know, how many brothers and sisters you got? And they're like, two. Okay, great. You know, it's like, I didn't know where to go from there, right? This will help. You've got to learn how to connect with people around you. But let me tell you this right now. When we talk about the animosity that we have towards each other, remember this. It comes out of the curse and not out of the garden. But we are on a trajectory back to what it means to be made whole with God. And there's only one way that that can happen. You see, it didn't end with a curse at earth. We had no hope. And we had no relationship with God. But God loved us so much that he was willing to send somebody that would bridge that gap. If we can't be in the presence of God because we have all this sin inside of our lives, then how in the world are we going to be together with him again? We always talk about heaven, right? I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah, you, can't, you don't belong there. You're covered with sin. But actually, you, you can go to heaven. What if someone were to take that filth away? God loved us so much, he came up with a plan where that is exactly what happens with Jesus Christ. What happens with Jesus Christ is this. You're going to see a reconciliation and a type of victory over the curse that we're talking about. You're going to see a type of wholeness that you saw in the garden and then some. Because what's going to happen is this. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you, he lived a pure life so that all of your sin, doesn't matter what you've done, can be poured out on him. He then was offered up, murdered on a cross as an innocent man so that all of that sin would be taken care of and you would be made pure. And now you're back together with God. But listen, that's good news. That's a news the world still hasn't understood. So live out a life in your workplace where you are connecting with people and you've got that good news that's resonating inside of you, knowing that the relationships that you're forming isn't just so you can have a, a bigger social circle, so that you can add them on Facebook, 
so that you can feel good about things that work. That's not the purpose. That's a very limited purpose. That's an insufficient purpose. But if your purpose is to draw close to God, I beg of you, look at Jesus and what he has done for you. Draw close to people so that that message can eventually come through. I guarantee you this. I told you at the beginning of this particular lesson last week, I'm not talking about evangelism. I am talking about the connectivity that you make through your workplace that is so powerful and so evident the questions come so naturally from the people around you. I don't understand why you would forgive him for that. Well, let me tell you about it. I promise you that's what happens. You were created for much greater things than your own glory. Please pray with me, and then I have a few announcements to make. Gracious God, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, I thank you for being in the basement. It's such a strange, weird, black place to be. And yet, Lord, your blessings just flow. Great God, you created us in tremendous ways. You gave us capabilities that even today, you, I, I'm just in awe at the beauty that you have allowed us to create. May it be a reflection of who you are. Lord, thank you for this world that you have given us. Thank you for the fact that you've given so many relationships all around us. May we roll up our sleeves and work in such a way that you smile not only upon us, but upon the people that we affect. Lord, I thank you so much for my wife, my own helper, the one who completely completes me and the harmony that we have with each other. She's so much better at so many things than I am. And yet at the same time, she reflects upon my strengths and we become this team. Yet how often have we looked at each other and said, how in the world did we come together? Great God, I thank you for men and for women. I thank you for the equality that existed from the beginning, the value that was placed upon both. May we continue in this trajectory forward where we can see that and capitalize on that and may it bring you glory lord may we also just reach out to the people that we just don't like the ones in our workplace that just make our lives so miserable is it possible to give just a small sense of grace that you have given us you forgave us of all things so may we still have enough love within us that we may reflect that grace to the people we just don't like and lord i thank you so much for jesus christ our ultimate blessing. Thank you for what he did for us. Thank you for the new life that we have through him. And thank you, Lord, so much that it is so powerful. It creates in us a new sense, a new identity of who we are. We are a people of God, and I thank you for that. May we live that out. Lord, be with each of us as we leave this building. May we go back to our workplaces or wherever we're from, and if we don't have jobs, please bless us accordingly. Give us something that we can do, that we can glorify you with. But give us courage and wisdom to continue to be the people that you made us. I thank you so much once again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.